Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. So if I haven't met you before, it's so nice to meet you. As Craig said, we moved up a couple of months ago from a little town in the South Island called Omaru. Officially voted New Zealand's most friendliest town. So um, it was a pretty cool place to live in for sure. But um, we're enjoying being part of a city again and getting to know all you awesome people, which is, which is cool. And um, so it's so nice to see all your smiling faces. During all the church online, I've kind of been picturing all your smiling faces as I've been speaking to the camera. So it's nice to see that the, um, you know, dream meets reality. It's pretty cool. So <laughs> it's getting to that time of year, isn't it, where everything starts to feel like a, a little bit crazy. There's that like mad energy in the air and, and we are zooming towards Christmas and I won't tell you how many sleeps, because if you've got kids, you'll be vitally aware of how many sleeps there are till Christmas. Um, but we've been on a bit of a journey, as you've heard this morning, um, in our speaking series about hope and looking at, we started all the way back with um, hope, not as the world hopes, so looking at how our hope as Christians is maybe a little bit um, different to the way the world hopes. And now we're kind of zooming in on why that is that our hope is different because our hope is based on a person and that person is Jesus. And so I thought it was super cool that at Christmas we're focusing in on who this person is that is hope for us and in fact all of the world, even if they don't know it yet. And I love that and I like to be really specific. If, if Jesus really is hope for me and the world, I want to know everything about him, and I want to know everything about him. I want to know him in my head, and I want to know him in my heart. And the Christmas story is such a marvel when you think about it, right? It's the God who came down. This little baby lying in a manger, surrounded by all these miraculous signs, like angels in the sky, and wise men turning up, and and most of the world kind of missed. And this little baby who would grow up to redeem us all. And it's real easy when you've been a Christian for a while for it to kind of become just a little bit normal. Like we've all heard the Christmas story, the nativity story a few times by now, and it's easy for um, that to become a little bit commonplace, right? And life gets busy, people need stuff from us, and sometimes in the doing of living, we forget, especially at this time of year, the majesty of what we celebrate the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so it's my hope this morning, as we kind of pause and reflect a little bit, that God would restore our wonder and our worship, that He would draw our hearts into new levels of adoration as we sit in awe of this grand miracle upon which all of our faith is built, the God who came. And so Christmas is a celebration of the Incarnation. I'm going the wrong way. Yes. Excellent. (laughs) So Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation. And Advent, the season we're in, is a call to worship. So the incarnation, literally in Latin, become flesh. Kind of get that idea. is one of the most foundational and probably scandalous claims of Christianity. The God who created all there is and holds everything together, like, came to us in Jesus. 
not merely inspired Jesus or spoke through him, but actually became flesh, incarnated in the person of Jesus. It's crazy, right? And it's a really strange thing that happened when you think about it. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who you probably know, wrote a stack of awesome books like The Chronicles of Narnia. He was also um, a professor of mythology at Cambridge University. So he spent all of his life kind of immersed in the language of myth and of stories. And um, he was fond of saying he knew the Christmas story must be true because it's so crazy no one would have ever thought it up. And it's true. Who would have ever thought this up? Where Jesus, the Word himself, God before all of creation, came down and entered into the fullness of humanity. And the really crazy thing is that this wasn't a lessening for him. Jesus didn't become less because God doesn't change, right? So how does that work? Instead, he took all of who he was and he added humanity to that. And while on earth he temporarily laid aside all of the independent exercise of his God abilities, he didn't for a minute stop being God. And so we have this thing we talk about called the two natures of Christ. And that's kind of, it breaks our brains a little bit because like so many things about God, it's so other to us. But both are entirely true. Jesus is fully human and he's fully divine. So some other little cool facts about the incarnation is um, the person who was incarnated is the eternal son. We read about in John 14, the word became flesh. So he willingly humbled himself in obedience to the Father, like we read in Philippians 2. He's co-equal and co-eternal. So what does that mean? It means the son, I'm just going to put my little clicker down because the awesome PowerPoint people are onto it, <laughs> that along with the Father and the Spirit, the son was is fully God and has always existed. So Jesus didn't come into being at Christmas. He's always existed. Addition, not subtraction. That's what we talked about before. So the eternal son who's always existed, possessed a divine nature and has not changed or set aside that divine nature. Instead, he's added humanity to himself. And now Jesus has these two natures. He's fully human and fully divine. Number four, Jesus was fully human and always like us, except one, he never sinned or had the sin nature. I have this point here, Jesus with dirty feet, and this is to remind me of a story. So I had a theology professor who was a lecturer who was really fond of sharing his stories of his time on the mission field in India. And this one story he told was sharing um, the person of Jesus, talking about who Jesus was with one of the local Indian gurus. And this guru goes, no, no, I know how to tell if it is God who has come to earth. I know how to tell you. So you, you creep up to them and slide a piece of paper under their feet because if God has come to earth, their feet will never touch the ground. And so this is a reminder, Jesus' feet did touch the ground. He had dirty feet. He actually entered into the dust and the mess and the chaos of this world. Like he wasn't removed of that in any way. He wasn't floating above it. So Jesus had dirty feet. And it was a supernatural event. Um, C.S. Lewis again refers to it as the grand miracle. In fact, he says it's a grand miracle upon which every other miracle is built. Um, so our faith as Christians is primarily supernatural. This crazy thing happened where God came down. 
And point six, which we already talked about, so even though Jesus temporarily laid aside the independent acts, um, exercise of his God nature, he never stopped his God abilities, he never stopped being God or continuing to act through his divine nature. And that cool verse in um, Colossians, it talks about all things created through him and for him and in him are all held together. And so, like, the universe didn't fall apart when Jesus came to earth, right? So, and kind of in my experience, everyone finds it easier to connect with one of these two natures of Christ, right? We either find it easier to see him as the Lord, high and lifted up, holy, glorious, pure, set apart, but struggle to see him as the Jesus who got tired from the journey or was rejected and betrayed by his friends, or who sat down and ate fish with his friends by the lake. Or we see Jesus as our best friend and struggle to connect that with the God who is high above creation and exists in unapproachable light. Um, And so this was a a question I have for the house churches, but um, something you guys could reflect on during the week. I don't know if you journal or anything like that. But do you find it easier to connect with the human Jesus or the divine Jesus? And why do you think that is? And this is a really interesting question to reflect on, and I've reflected on it a bit in my own personal life. For example, if you feel like God is judging the way you react in every situation, maybe you've forgotten that God became a man and walked this earth as well. And maybe if you feel like Jesus just isn't powerful enough to get you out of a a situation, you've forgotten that he is the God who existed before creation. In fact, the whole world came into being by him. So a good question for reflection. And we're not going to get into it heaps now, but I have more good questions for reflection. (laughs) What does it mean for you that Jesus is fully human? And um, just a couple of pointers to get you started. Jesus gets what it's like to live in the mess of this world, right? There is never a time where you can go to Jesus and say, you just don't understand what it's like. You don't get what it's like for me. You can't. You can't understand. And um, we can never say that because he does. He was here. He had dirty feet. He walked this earth. And in Jesus, we see the ultimate expression of what it means to be human. I don't know about you, but it's kind of cool that we have one person we can look to and see God's intention for humanity and what we were meant to be like. And what does it mean for us that Jesus was fully divine? In him we see and know what God is like. Have you ever thought the things we wouldn't know about God if Jesus didn't come? Things that would have just remained a mystery forever? We can trust that when he said it was finished, it really was, because who else could say that but God? And that the one who created me is the same one who, who pursued me. It's God himself that came near. The God who has always been with his people has now come near to everyone in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the only proper response my heart can find when I reflect on that is worship. And um, as the wise men in the passage we read about knew, Advent is a call to worship. To come and to worship the God who came. And I've always found that story of the Magi pretty interesting. Last week we learned about how the location of Jesus' birth showed us that he came for everyone, like if he was born in a palace, he'd be only accessible to the rich, 
or if he was born in a, um, into an academic or religious institution, he would have been only available to the people who were smart enough or spiritual enough to belong to that group. But instead he came to a stable and was laid in a manger, showing us that he came for everyone, regardless of their background. And everyone is welcome at the stable. And again, we see that reinforced here in a totally different way. So as John so awesomely shared, each gospel author writes with a slightly different purpose in mind. Like in Luke's gospel, we see it's the night shift shepherds who are the first to learn that the Messiah is born. But in Matthew, it was these wealthy foreigners, true seekers from another religion, from a far-flung land, um, that God first beckons to come and see this newborn king. And it shows us that not only, no longer is the salvation that God offers only for the Jews, but God has come to all people. And Luke and Matthew complement really each other really well here if you think about it. Um, Jesus came for the rich and he came for the poor. He came for the uneducated and he came for the people who have spent their whole life studying and have still missed him. He came for Jews, and he came from people from far-flung places and of other religions even. Sometimes we get locked into this idea of who it is that needs Jesus, who in our communities needs to get saved. And we have this idea Jesus came for the poor and lowly outcasts, and he did. Like his heart is 100% for those people and with those people. But he also came for the successful, popular people that the world thinks is awesome, but yet are spiritually dead and lost on the inside. He calls all people everywhere to come and to worship and to surrender their lives to him, whether you're a high country farmer or an oil baron. That's pretty cool when you think about it. These magi, they're like a little foretaste. He's like of the, they're the first Gentiles of many who will come and bow down and worship this Jesus. It's such an expression of God's love for those who are near and far and for the wideness of his mercy and his grace. God spoke to these magi in a language they knew, the language of the stars, and he called to them to come and worship this newborn King Jesus. And so what was their response? They loaded up the camels with um, gifts to lay before the newborn King, as one of the youth told me at youth group of gold, myrrh, and Frankenstein. <laughs> and they journey across many, many miles. So um, some say this journey might have even taken like 100 days. So 100 days on a camel. I'm, um, I do competitive endurance riding on my horses, and I can tell you that after four hours, everything hurts. After 100 days, I cannot even imagine. <laughs> but worship always involves sacrifice, right? of time, of energy, of other things you'd rather be doing. Um, but it's always worth it, because Jesus is totally worth it. And so we read again from Matthew 2, 9 to 11. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And sometimes we read the story and we focus on the gifts, right? The shiny things they brought to Jesus. Um, but I love the fact that before they gave him what they had, they gave him themselves. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And sometimes we get so caught up 
and what we can bring to Jesus and the doing of the Christian life. And we just forget to first just bow down and worship him before we bring anything to him. Upon seeing the infant Jesus, the Magi fall to their knees and they pay him homage. And it's a call for us too to bow before Christ and to give him thanks to him for coming, to honouring him and yielding our lives to the God who is worthy, the God who came near, who became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Advent and Christmas are meant to call us into a lifelong worship of this Christ and all he has done for us. So, how do we do that? How are some ways we can grow in our worship of this God this week? And this was another question for house churches, a good one to reflect on as well. So everyone has different ways they connect with God, right? I feel like you guys here are pretty well versed in that. Um, But this week, may I suggest a little stillness? And this is how I like to do it. So find a quiet spot, set a timer for five minutes, make sure you lock the door so no one interrupts you. And... um, and just let take one thing about God that makes him worthy of worship. And it could have been one of the points we looked at before, but there are many you can choose from. And just kind of hold that out in front of you. And just reflect on what that means for you and just thank him for that. And it might take a little getting used to because in our crazy, busy world, our bodies and our souls are really unaccustomed to stillness. So you have to kind of train yourself to be still. That's why I set my timer for five minutes. (laughs) But as we just sit there and gaze upon Jesus, our hearts can't help but cry out to him in worship for how awesome he is. Not bringing anything to him, not asking anything from him, but just sitting there because we love him and he is worthy of all that we have and all that we do. So, so far this morning, we've looked at that Jesus is actually God himself. And he never stopped being God, but because he added humanity to himself, he now has these two natures, fully human and fully divine. Jesus is the God who came near. Because of this, we are called to worship, to pour out all that we have and all that we are before him. And so you might ask, what does this have to do with hope? Well, kind of everything. Because the little baby asleep in the manger is the child who came to die to restore for our sins, to restore our relationship with God. Because the child grew up to live a perfect life and die an all-encompassing death was actually God himself. That we can have confidence that our debt is truly paid for because no one else except Jesus, the God who had added humanity to himself, could have paid that price for us. Not only that, but if the manger represents the beginning of the story about the lengths God went to to pursue you and to pursue me and to have relationship with us and to display his glory and love to all of creation, can you imagine how the story is going to end? It's going to be good, right? He's the God that came down and our only proper response is to worship and throw everything we have at his feet. This also leads us to hope because you were created for this. You were created to worship God. The um, Westminster Confession describes the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created for this. And there is hope that comes from engaging in your purpose and knowing that you're doing what you are actually created for. 
Advent is a call to worship the God who came. The trying God who in the person of the Son has added humanity to himself and now exists with these two natures, fully human and fully divine. In his humanity, we identify with him and his divinity, we worship him. The worship team would like to wander up. So this morning is an opportunity for you to hit the reset button. For you to pause and say, actually, it's been quite a while since I've just gazed at you, Jesus, where I've just come to you and marveled at you for who you are, not wanting anything from you, not bringing anything to you, but just pouring out my worship. It's an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I've brought you all of my gifts, but I haven't always brought you my heart. I've done stuff for you and given stuff to you, but I haven't always bowed before you. It's an opportunity to refocus on worship and adoration as we embrace everything the season is. And so I'm just going to pray as we move into worship. Yeah, God, I just want to thank you that you are the God who came, that you've revealed to us who God is through your person, Jesus, that you came to pursue relationship with us, and that um, we have hope at Christmas because you came and because you died for us, God. So I just want to thank you for that, God. At first, we are grateful. And I pray that you just help us to be still this season, God, as all the noise tries to kind of swallow us at this time of the year, that you would just remind us we were created to worship you, God, and that you would draw us into your purpose, God, as we um, reflect deeper and deeper about what it means that you are fully human and you're fully divine and you're fully for us, God. And so um, just lead us, our hearts, into worship this season, God. And we're sorry for the times that we haven't done that, God, where we have come to you with our needs and our wants and our desires and our troubles, God, but we haven't just come to you with worship. I pray that you restore our hearts to that, God, to just a love for you at this time of year.